Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to episode 11 of the Forza Napoli Cultural Podcast. A podcast devoted to Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan, looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thanks for listening once again, and if it's your first time listening to the pod, welcome to Forza Napoli. On today's episode, we'll cover the latest news in Europe and Serie A, and there's a lot to cover there, so we'll do the Napoli news in part two which is fine because most of it is transfer-related anyway. And in part 3, we'll do a player profile, and since most of us are now watching the Bundesliga, what better time than to profile a player that came from the German top flight? And that player is Diego Demme. And in today's profile, we'll also just scratch the surface on the whole Leipzig story, which is a fascinating one. Starting with Europe, the Scottish Professional Football League became the fourth European league to end its season, a decision that was unanimously agreed to by the Scottish clubs. Average points per game were used to determine the final standings, and by doing that, Celtic was crowned champions for the ninth consecutive year, but they were 13 points clear of Steven Gerrard's Rangers. Hearts have been relegated, so they won't be too happy as they were only four points back of the safe zone. Staying in the United Kingdom, the English Premier League has been approved to resume what they're calling group training, but there will be no physical contact and social distancing measures will be in place. In Spain, group training is to resume with groups of 10 players. And in Turkey, we mentioned last episode that the Turkish Super League will resume on June 12th. The president of the Turkish Football Federation, Nihat Ozdemir, even went so far as to say that if things go well, they may even play a few matches in July with the public in attendance, which would be a horrible, horrible mistake. So I really hope they don't do that. Moving on to Germany, last episode we talked about the Bundesliga resuming and some of the protocols we saw being used. Archie Rindtut was on the latest episode of the Guardian Football Weekly podcast, and he described his experience being part of the media 
for the Borussia Dortmund Schalke match. And that was really interesting. I suggest you check that out. And something that he said that I found really interesting as well was that because of the protocols, he actually felt safer working the match than he does doing other everyday things like grocery shopping, for instance. And we've seen a lot of players sharing that sentiment on social media. On the other hand, there are players who don't agree with playing. We previously spoke about Brescia captain Daniela Gastaldello and his thoughts about resuming. Watford's Troy Deeney is refusing to step foot on the pitch for fear of putting his five-month-old child at risk, which I can certainly appreciate. So again, I'm curious to see how clubs manage players who don't want to play, and if they refuse, what are the implications as far as contracts go. In other news, on Tuesday, UEFA President Alexander Seferin pointed out that the resumption date of August 2nd for European Cups is not definitive. Now, that's not really news. We previously spoke about how UEFA has planned for different scenarios with different start dates. But the fact that he reminded everyone of this makes me wonder if UEFA is starting to consider delaying the restart of the European Cups. And a delay probably makes sense as the EPL seems pretty far from resuming. The UK has surpassed Italy in deaths from COVID-19 and the recovery has been slower than Italy's. So I can't see the Premier League resuming anytime soon. And we know that Italian football must resume in the next week or two to be able to finish by August 2nd. Granted, the EPL is three matches ahead of Serie A in their schedule. They have only nine matches remaining, while most Serie A clubs have 12. And after testing 748 players and staff, only six people tested positive, which is good news. But just playing two matches a week means that the EPL would need to start by the beginning of July, to be done by August, and right now I just don't see that happening. One of UEFA's alternatives is to move the matches to neutral locations and to play one leg instead of two. And don't forget, UEFA gave the football federations until May 25th, which is less than a week away now, to advise them on how the leagues will end and who will play in the respective competitions. So if the Cups are delayed, I wonder if this deadline will be delayed too, and if it is, how will the Eredivisie and Liga react as they cancelled their leagues shortly after UEFA provided this ultimatum? And speaking of France, the French Football League has voted to have 22 clubs in Ligue 2 next season. In other words, no clubs from Ligue 2 will be relegated, and that decision will need to be ratified by the French Football Federation. Moving on to Serie A, on Monday, Prime Minister Conte announced that no sporting events will be played until June 14th, which a lot of people got worked up about. I'm not really sure why they did, as it's only a day after the resumption date Serie A had originally proposed. Serie A didn't get worked up about it either. On Tuesday, they issued a press release acknowledging the government decree and confirming that Serie A has been suspended until the 14th as well. And in all likelihood, Serie A will actually resume on June 20th, which shouldn't make much of a difference either. If you recall, Serie A had an internal vote to determine whether to commence on the 13th or the 20th. The clubs voted on the 13th to add an extra week of buffer, so all they've really lost is that week of buffer. The June 20th restart should also satisfy Udinese owner Gianpaolo Pozzo. Pozzo told Radio Anchio Sport that the June 13th resumption date was an insult to intelligence. He elaborated that after two and a half months off, players need at least a month of proper training to minimize injuries. So with Spadafora approving the updated protocol for group training on Tuesday and assuming Serie A indeed resumes on June 20th, players will have exactly a month to train before the championship resumes. 
And speaking of Spadafora, he talked to Rai Due about his approval of the protocols, and when he was asked about the team quarantine, he explained that the current situation, presumably referring to the decline in COVID-19 infections and deaths in Italy, has allowed the government to accept the change. So now that group training is approved, the next step is to finalize the protocols for the actual matches. Hopefully Serie A will just copy what the Germans are doing, but this is Italy we're talking about, so don't be surprised if they spend weeks arguing, debating, and politicking just to arrive at the exact same result. There will be a meeting on May 28th between Spadafora, Gravina, and Dalpino to talk about the date for the resumption of the championship. On Wednesday, there was a meeting of the Federal Council, and the big news that came out of that meeting was that the amateur league, the Lega Nazionale Dilettanti, better known as Serie D, has been ended, but Serie A, Serie B, and Serie C will resume. For the life of me, I can't understand how they expect Lega Pro, which is Serie C, to resume. For those who don't know, Serie C has three groups with 20 clubs in each, and generally speaking, the groups are based on location, so Group A is in the northern region, Group B is in the central region, and Group C is in the southern region. So you have 60 clubs in total, most of whom have 11 matches remaining, some of them have 12 matches remaining. Also, these clubs make far less than the higher divisions as far as revenues go, so I doubt they can afford to implement the protocols when you think about the costs associated with testing players regularly, sterilizing facilities, isolating individuals who test positive, etc., unless they're given some sort of cash injection. Another interesting decision that came out of that meeting was that the leagues will be completed by August 20th so that next season can commence on September 1st. So starting with the August 20th date, that's nearly three weeks after the proposed Champions League restart. So unless you're going to ask the Champions League clubs to play three matches a week for a three-week period, this to me is further evidence that the European Cups will be postponed. Regarding starting next season on September 1st, I was really scratching my head when I read that. I just don't see the benefit of drawing the line in the sand right now. They did decide in this meeting that if seasons cannot be completed, they may use a playoff to decide the standings, and if even a playoff is not possible, then the final standings will be determined using criteria that reward sporting merit. And I suspect that that's the reason why Sadechi is still proceeding, because they now have measures in place if it doesn't work out, and they don't want to jump the gun like some would say that League 1 did. But back to the September 1st date. Even if the various parties have decided that under no circumstance shall the season go beyond August 20th, you can't expect the new season to start a week and a half after these guys just played two games a week for two months. If we can squeeze 12 matches into a two-month-long period this season, then surely we can postpone the start of next season for a month and squeeze those four games into the schedule over the course of the following eight months. And not to get too far ahead of myself... But if you were to start from the 2022 World Cup in Qatar and work your way backwards, even before COVID-19, there were talks about playing the 2022 World Cup later in the year because of the heat. If that happens, you can shift the 2021-2022 domestic leagues to start and end a bit later. Then you shift the 2020 European Cup, which will be played in 2021, to start and end later, which means you can shift the 2020-2021 domestic leagues to start and end later. A few other things that were discussed that I think are worth noting, tax payments have been further deferred to September, and for clubs that don't own their facilities, which is most of them, rent has been suspended. In other news, on Monday there was a meeting between Serie A and the three broadcasters, Sky, The Zone, and IMG, 
which didn't settle much. According to the TV deal, the broadcasters are withholding the final payment of 230 million euros while they try to negotiate a discount since no matches are actually being played at the moment. So it appears Serie A will start legal proceedings by filing an injunction. Meanwhile, on Wednesday, Fiorentina President Rocco Comiso made an interesting comment on America Today. He explained that if the government suspended play, Sky would be forced to pay. However, if the season resumed and then ended because of a threat to human health, Sky would not be required to pay. So that could be the reason why the broadcasters are withholding this final installment. Since we're on the topic of financials, Andrea Sartori, who is the global head of the sports division of KPMG, spoke to Tuto Sport about the financial impact of COVID-19 on Italian football. And he explained that Serie A would depreciate by 17% if the season resumes and by 26% if it is ended. And in the latter case, KPMG estimates losses of 650 million euros, not including the reduced value of players. And he also said it would not be crazy if Italian football as a whole lost a billion euros if everything was cancelled. So that's it for part one. In part two, we'll do some Napoli news and transfer news. So let's talk a little bit about Napoli. So the big news over the last few days was Dries Mertens. The story started on Monday when La Repubblica reported that De Laurentiis had no intention of participating in an auction for Dries and that his initial offer remained unchanged. So between that and the reports about Conte and Lukaku talking to the Belgian and house hunting in Milano, I think Interisti were feeling pretty confident that they would sign Mertens and understandably so. But then Monday afternoon, Gianluca Di Marzio reported that Mertens had agreed to a renewal with Napoli immediately after De Laurentiis matched Inter's offer. And according to Di Marzio, the renewal is for two years at 4 million euros a year, plus a 2.5 million euro signing bonus. And I've seen other reports saying that the contract is actually two years at 4.5 million euros per year, plus a 3 million euro signing bonus, and that there's even an option for a third year. Di Marzio also reported that Mertens never intended to move to another club in Italy and that the Belgian was waiting for another offer from abroad, but that never came. And I assume he meant that Mertens was waiting for someone from abroad to match Inter's offer because we know that Chelsea were very interested in him as well. Finally, Di Marzio reported that the mister, Gennaro Gattuso, played a fundamental role in the negotiation. And after the news broke, Ciro Borriello, who is the counselor for sport in Napoli, spoke to Radio Kiss Kiss about the possibility of making Dries, who already bears the nickname Chiro, an honorary citizen. So that's one striker locked up. What about the other one? So there are plenty of rumors floating around about Arkadush Milik, who has a year left on his contract. According to Carlo Alvino, Milik is looking to earn more and would be open to a new experience. 
And the latest is that Juventus and Atletico Madrid are both seriously interested in signing the Polish international, and that has pushed his price up to 50 million euros. Tottenham and Chelsea also still have their eyes on Milik. If Napoli do sell him, the player that at the moment seems most likely to replace Milik is Zenit's 25-year-old striker Sardar Azmoun. De Laurentiis apparently would have tried to sign the striker in January if there was a non-European union space available on the squad, and Zenit are reportedly looking to get 30 million euros for Asmoon, which Napoli thinks is on the high end. Meanwhile, according to Asmoon's agent Vincenzo Morabito, Asmoon does not have the minimum requirements desired by Napoli. There was certainly an evaluation, but a real thrust has never been made, and he would bet calmly that a deal would not go through. Another player that Napoli have been heavily linked to is Gremio's 24-year-old winger, Everton Suarez. As a possible replacement for Jose Calejon, or maybe even for Herving Lozano, though I still think Lozano will remain with the club for at least another year. The reports are that Napoli were willing to offer Gremio 25 million euros for Everton, and they would pay the Brazilian 4 million euros a year for four years, but Gremio are stalling because they have other offers. Now, Everton does have a 60 million euro release clause in his contract, but he could be allowed to leave for less, and Gremio has declined offers in the past when they were in a stable financial position, but because of the financial impact of COVID-19, they may be more inclined to sell him now. Now, there appear to be conflicting reports here. On one hand, Gremio's president, Romildo Bolzan Jr., insists that he has not received any formal offers to purchase Everton. However, Everton's father, Carlos Alberto Suarez, was interviewed by Gaucha, and he said Napoli came for him and presented a project. They should send a proposal directly to Gremio next week. Napoli is a good city, the club always plays in the Champions League, and has formed a good team. And if I had to choose between the club president and the player's father, I'd have to go with the father. Bolzan is saying exactly what you would expect a club president to say, but parents are usually less filtered. Before I close this segment, I'll give you a quick news update, and unfortunately, it's not good news. The last few episodes, we mentioned Costas Manolas got hurt in training. On Tuesday, we got some more bad news, which is that Fabian had joined Costas Manolas on the sidelines after experiencing muscle problems in training on Monday. Fabian will undergo further testing to determine the extent of the injury, so hopefully it's not too serious, but we'll keep an eye on that for you. So that's it for part two. In part three, we'll do another player profile. Tuo fa l'americano, americano, americano, sienta a me chi tu fa fa. Tu vuoi vivere alla moda, ma se bevi whisky e soda, poi siente disturbato. Tu a ballo rock e roll, tu gioca a pesa bolla, vei sorta beccamella, chi te li dà la borsetta di mamma tuo fa l'americano, americano. Americano, ma si nati in Italia, 
Sienta menun sasta nienta fa okkaina bulitan tuo falamerikan tuo falamerikan Okay, so like I mentioned earlier, since we're now all experts on German football, I figured this week I would profile a player that came from the German Bundesliga, and that's Diego Demme. Demme was born in Hereford, Germany, to an Italian father and a German mother. As a child, he played for a number of German clubs before landing at Armenia Bielefeld, where he began his professional career. Demme worked his way through the Bielefeld Youth Academy, before joining the senior team in the summer of 2010 at the age of 18. The midfielder's time with the senior squad was plagued by injuries. Demon made only 23 appearances during his three years with the club, before moving to SC Paderborn in the Zweitliga for a whopping €25,000. In his first season at Paderborn, Demme earned 11 appearances and established himself not as a midfielder, but as a fullback. It was not until the following season that he would make the transition into the midfield. Then in January of 2014, Leipzig acquired the midfielder from Paderborn for €350,000, which was still dirt cheap, and Leipzig signed the young midfielder until 2018. Now, up until that point, Demme had not really done much in his career, but obviously Leipzig saw something in him. Demme joined the club in the middle of Red Bull's project that made Leipzig one of, if not the most hated club in Germany, so let me talk about that for a little bit. In 2010, the popular energy drink company purchased the club, having identified an untapped market in desperate need of professional football, and that market was the former East Germany. After energy Cottbus were relegated in 2009, no club from that area had played in the Bundesliga since. Now, much of the German public and fans of the Bundesliga in general hate on the club because they feel like Red Bull simply bought their way into the first division. I personally think that's a bit of an oversimplification. Yes, they were probably spending more than other clubs were spending in the fifth division, but the Red Bull approach is all about finding diamonds in the rough. They identify young talent that they can purchase for next to nothing, develop those players, and then sell them for a profit which they've done more so in the last few years. This is not like a club like Manchester City, for example, whose new billionaire owners invested in world-class talent at every position and are now top of the table. And when I say invest, I mean spend the most money. That's not what Red Bull do. They're all about player development. Now that's a lovely idea, but you can only do this successfully if you have the right people. In Leipzig's case, the right person was hired in 2012, And that was a sporting director that goes by the name of Ralph Rangnick. Rangnick decided the style of play Leipzig wanted to pursue and then set out to bring in young players to fit that style with the condition that no player should be older than 23. By the time Demet joined the club, Leipzig had already been promoted twice from the 5th division to the Dritte Liga or the 3rd division in German football. Demet made his first appearance with the club two and a half weeks after signing and started all but one match, then on out. He played a pivotal role in helping Leipzig to a second-place finish behind only FC Heidenheim, and more importantly, to a promotion to the Zweitliga. After finishing in fifth place in their first season in the Zweitliga, in the 2015-2016 campaign, Leipzig finished in second to earn a promotion to the German top flight. So it took only eight years for Red Bull to complete their meteoric rise, from the 5th division to the Bundesliga. And it was in the club's first season in the Bundesliga that Demme would score his first professional goal. 
Kaiser. Kaiser's cross is a good one. Oh, desperately done. What a brave header. Diego Demma might have got a foot in the mouth for his uh, trouble. Very bravely dived in to put that ball away. But he did get a huge whack in the face there. There's some very good dentists all around Germany. So that goal was scored on match day 29 in a 4-0 win against Freiburg. Demis showed his aggression and bravery scoring on a header while taking a boot to the face that knocked out one of his teeth in the process. Demis' manager at the time, Ralf Hassenhutel, said even if he loses a tooth at every goal, he will still have his fangs at the end of his career, referring to the player's hunger and passion. By the end of that season, Demme was wearing the captain's armband, leading his club to a second-place finish behind perennial German champions Bayern Munich. For the first time in the club's history, Leipzig played in the Champions League, but did not advance past the group stage despite being placed in the weakest group. That season, Demme made 41 appearances in all competitions, bearing the captain's armband in seven of them. Leipzig finished the season in sixth place, missing out on the Champions League but qualifying for the Europa League. With Ragnik back in as manager, Demme continued to impress in the 2017-2018 campaign. His numbers were similar to the prior season, making 39 appearances in all competitions and wearing the captain's armband seven times. More importantly, Demme helped his club return to the Champions League with a third-place finish behind Bayern Munich and Borussia Dortmund. The German played the first half of the 2019-2020 season with Leipzig, where he would wear the captain's armband in 11 straight matches between November 2nd and December 10th. Demme led his club to win Group G of the Champions League and even contributed on the score sheet with one of Leipzig's two goals in a 2-0 win over Zenit on November 5th. Finally, on January 11, 2020, Napoli acquired Demme from Leipzig for a reported fee of 12 million euros. This was literally a dream come true for the 28-year-old. My father gave me the gave me the name Diego because of the he was a big fan of Diego Maradona, so he called me uh, Diego. As was widely reported at the time, Demme's father Enzo is a huge Napoli supporter, so much so that he named his son after Napoli legend Diego Maradona. Demme also idolized his new coach, Gennaro Gattuso, who, like his father, is Calabrese. In an interview with German magazine Bild, Demme admitted that his father cried when he signed for Napoli. He also said his first appearance at the San Paolo was moving, and that he still gets goosebumps when he thinks about the atmosphere at the San Paolo in the Champions League match against Barcelona. Now, unlike our previous profiles, we do have a decent sample size of matches Demme has played for Napoli, having made 10 appearances in all competitions. So let's go over some of his strengths and weaknesses, both from these matches as well as from his six years at Leipzig. When I was young, my football idols were, were um, yeah, the, the mister, now Gattuso and um, Pirlo, because um, yeah, they played perfect together and I like um, both of them. Like Sandro Tonali, Demme has been described as a mix of his two idols, Andrea Pirlo and Gennaro Gattuso. Now, those guys were both world class, so you have to take the comparisons with a grain of salt. That being said, like Pirlo, he has great vision and he's an excellent passer of the ball. Despite sitting deep, he is capable of picking up forwards with balls over the top. And his passing abilities are helped by the fact that he is skilled with both feet. And this was something his father, who was himself a former footballer, taught him at a young age. 
In the build-up, he's very good at finding open space, which is very important for Gattuso's system. Like Gattuso, he plays with Grinta, which is particularly noticeable on the defensive end. He plays with a certain intensity, a certain hunger to win the ball. So it's not surprising that he's also great at pressing. He doesn't just know when and where to press, but he can also close down very quickly. And what makes him good at pressing is his awareness of passing lanes, his ability to react quickly, and the direction of his pressing runs. Also, like Gattuso, he's brave, he has excellent stamina, and he's extremely reliable and consistent. Finally, he has a great attitude, he's highly coachable, and though he doesn't score often, when he does score, they seem to come at very important moments. In favor of Gattuso, Zilinski. Rilancia lungo di prima intenzione, la palla finisce su Augello e poi su Milik, quindi verso il centro per Mertens che la allunga verso Insigne, arriva Mario Rui, Insigne punta Torsby, palla a Mario Rui, passaggio indietro per Ried, Insigne il tiro, deviazione, gol, gol! Demme, 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 incredibile gol di Demme, non poteva sbagliare e non ha sbagliato, gol! So that was Demme scoring the game winner in the 83rd minute against Sampdoria earlier this year. Demme was brought on to replace Stanislav Laboka up 2-1 in the 61st minute. Then Samp equalized on a Manolo Gabbiadini penalty kick in the 73rd minute before Demme restored the lead. Demme does have a few weaknesses. He's not a great dribbler so he makes up for that with his intelligence, vision, and quick passing. Also, because of his size, he doesn't win many aerial duels, and he can be exploited on set pieces. Before I close this segment, a quick comment on the price Napoli paid for Demme. On our Laboka profile, I mentioned that Napoli paid double for Laboka than for Demme. That's largely because of the age difference. Demme is 28 years old, while Laboka is 25. So realistically, Demme probably has only a few good years left in him before his play starts to decline simply because of his age. Mind you, he may be able to extend that a little bit because he does take care of his body. While he was with Leipzig, he became a vegan for six months, and during that period, he realized that by reducing his meat and dairy consumption, he would lower the acid levels in his body, and that improved his recovery time and reduced muscle fatigue. Though he's no longer vegan, he does eat mostly plant-based meals, he doesn't consume much dairy, and he eats a lot of alternatives to meat, fish, eggs, and dairy. And again, this is another indication of the commitment and the intelligence of this player. Back to Laboka, this is another reason why you don't mind him backing up Demme, because Demme has a shorter shelf life. Laboka can then slide into the starting role, assuming he's still with the club. So that's my profile on Diego Demme. It occurred to me as I worked on this pod that you probably think I love every player on this team based on these profiles, so maybe next time I'll profile a player that I'm not terribly fond of, and I actually do have one in mind. So that's going to do it for episode 11. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please share it with your friends. You can also leave comments and reviews on your favorite podcast platforms. If you have any questions or if you would like me to review anything in particular, you can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore Fischetti 5 or you can find the pod at Fortsanopoly Pod. You can also find my work at worldfootballindex.com. I look forward to chatting with you again soon. Until next time, I'm Joe Fischetti, Fortsanopoly Sandra.
Network.